With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Well, well, as I said, five rounds into the AFL season, uh, St Kilda, Essendon, Collingwood, all sitting pretty at the top of the ladder, each with four wins from their first five games. A couple of interesting storylines throughout the ladder so far through five rounds. And joining us now to talk about it all is Seven News AFL reporter Theo Doropoulos, good friend of the show. Welcome in, Theo. Good morning. Good afternoon over there. How are you? Yes, doing very well, mate. Uh, what, have you, what have you made of the first uh, five rounds of this uh, AFL season? Well, curious, really curious. After the first four rounds, we were still unsure as to which teams were good, specifically in Adelaide with the Crows and the Power. We just hadn't been convinced either way. We're genuinely surprised by St Kilda's rise under their new coach and Ross Lyon, who was the coach there previously. Uh, Essendon have a new coach as well with Brad Scott, and they've surprised. And uh, Collingwood, well, they've just gone from strength to strength. So, yeah, certainly by, you think, round sort of eight or nine, the tournament will start to sort itself out. The ladder will start to be a, a more fair representation of which teams are going well or not. But, yeah, I think there have certainly been some surprises so far. Talk to you about St Kilda and Essendon. Like you mentioned, St Kilda finishing outside of the top eight last year, missed out on finals footy, and then Essendon uh, finishing in 15th. But um, they're, they're right up the top of the table through uh, five rounds. Is that, um, do you think, a genuine turnaround or um, is maybe a, a little bit overinflated where they're sitting at the moment? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I certainly don't predict them to be, you know, top four by the time the end of the season. And, but what we're seeing is two clubs that had years of uncertainty, really. I mean, a couple of years under some reasonable coaches, but then you get in someone like Ross Lyon, who's been around for, you know, two decades, and Brad Scott was a coach of North Melbourne Kangaroos for near on 10 years, if not a bit longer. And they've just come in with fresh ideas. And you can't underestimate what a couple of new players and what a, a change in opinion and a change of message and hearing it from a different voice, what, what sort of difference that makes to, you know, maybe three or four players' mindset, and that can be the difference that the team might need. So, yeah, it's been certainly been a good change for the competition. It's great to see clubs from, you know, the bottom 10 move up into the top eight. It always keeps things interesting and, and puts the other teams on notice. But, yeah, I wouldn't expect maybe finals. Certainly for St Kilda, I think they've got a, a bit more to work with than Essendon. Um, and their injury struggles are a little bit too real at the moment with a couple of key players missing. But yeah, I would expect the, the Saints to make finals, but yeah, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't pencil them in for top four, that's for sure. Uh, now, we all know the, the Cats out of Geelong won the grand final last year in commanding fashion. Fans will be looking at the table, seeing them sitting in 10th at the moment, maybe getting a little bit nervous, but remember last year they did start slow as well, just five wins in their first nine games, then went undefeated for the rest of the season. Over here, our TAB has the Cats' fourth favourites, to, uh, to, to go out and win the, a back-to-back title. Do, do they have it in them? Oh, back-to-back titles, very hard to do for a couple of reasons. Your star players get older, which they do tend to have an ageing list along. It's the way that they've been set up for years. They've had a, a dynasty down there, really. They've, they've consistently in finals and um, certainly at the pointy end. In terms of back-to-back, the other reason is they just don't get enough time to prepare, really. So you tend to find that the teams in the grand final because they finish their season two or three weeks later than all the other teams, they'll start two or three weeks later in the preseason and tend to get off the slow start. So from a local point of view, Geelong's one of those teams that 
once they make the finals, they're fine. They're a bit like the LA Lakers, you know what I mean? They'll always have star power. When they get there to the pointy end, you're wary. So the fact that they've started a little slow, I don't think that'd be... I honestly don't think it'd be a concern even for the Cats. Mm. You know, had they had two or three more wins, then no problems. But I think wait till September. They'll win enough games to get in, certainly in, in the top eight. And then from there, if they push to the top four, well, yeah, you wouldn't want to write them off. But back-to-back flags is just so difficult. Yeah. Who, who is the, uh, the sort of resounding favourite over there, Theo? Who is everyone talking about, sort of looking at and going, that, that's got to be the team to beat in 23? Well, again, like a week or so ago, it was Carlton, and then they came to Adelaide and got absolutely torched by 56 points, I think it was. I think the one predictably now is Collingwood. So there are a couple of questions as to whether last year they got a new coach, Craig McRae. He came from Richmond, and Richmond under Damien Hardwick, the Tigers, they've been super successful. I think they won three of the last four or five flags. So they thought, again, was that going to just be a bump in a fresh message, or are they legitimate? You know, they made a prelim final, and then they've started this year pretty much on the same note. They're playing really exciting football. They score heavily. They defend well, and they're, they're great to watch. So in terms of consistency, teams that did well last year and have backed it up at the start of this season, certainly uh, the Collingwood Magpies, they're probably the ones at this point I say that with some hesitation because it can change any week. Mm, yeah, no, absolutely. Now, um, Theo, obviously over here, um, NRL is, is a lot larger than uh, than the AFL is, um, particularly with the, with the Warriors in the NRL competition. Um, over the last couple of years in the in the NRL, it's really evened out this year, but over the last few years, we saw a real big gap between some of the top teams and some of the bottom teams. We saw these massive blowouts in terms of score lines. Where does the AFL sit at the moment in terms of competitiveness between you know top teams and bottom teams? It's certainly tightened up. In the last 10 years, there's been, um, you know, what, what's been implemented is an equalisation process, which means teams can't, the richer teams can't spend more than the poorer teams, for lack of a better term. So they have a cap that they can't go over. If they do, they pay significant tax. And there have been um, a real shift towards the poorer teams getting a you know, better resource, getting better draft concessions and making sure that they can rebuild in, say, two or three years rather than five or seven. So languishing at the bottom of the ladder hopefully is a thing of the past for some clubs. So mm. even a side like North Melbourne, they were very poor last year. Um, they've won a couple of games under new coach Alistair Clarkson, who, if you haven't heard of him, he's just an absolute maestro of Australian football, one of the most successful premiership coaches we've ever had. So they've had a bit of a bounce. There are one or two teams like the West Coast Eagles over in Perth. They've struggled this year, but they've got something like 13 of their first-choice players injured. Now, no matter what sport in the world, if you lose, say, 20% of your best players, you're going to struggle, let alone close to 50. So, yeah, they're going to have a tough time. But from a broader point of view, it feels like any team, and I live in Adelaide, and the Crows, they weren't tipped to go overly well this year. In the last three weeks, they've scored 100 points. They scored their highest ever total last week. They're the only team that's won three games in a row currently. So the change can happen quickly. And we're, we're seeing teams from the bottom beat teams from the top. The competition is so unbelievably unpredictable which is great for fans to watch. Might make you a bit more nervous, but it's great for the viewer. <laughs> absolutely. Theo, um, I freely admit that I am that I'm an AFL nuffy. I know absolutely nothing about it. I, I've watched <laughs> a couple of games, tried to on TV. I've heard it's more of a, a you know, a, a live sport to go and watch. Did, did I hear you say in there that there's a draft? Yeah, there's a player. So at the end of every season, the teams are ranked 1 to 18. And if you finish number one, you get 
well, in theory, unless you trade it, you get the 18th pick of the first round. And if you finish last, you get the first pick. So basically the way teams rebuild is at the end of every season, the next crop of young players that enter the AFL draft, if you finish last, you get the first pick. So in theory, you pick the most talented 18-year-old kid in the country. And that way the next team goes and gets the second most talented player. And that's generally outside of trading players. That's how clubs rebuild their list is by going to the draft. And you see teams like Adelaide who have struggled recently. They've gone heavily to the draft. So they've got rid of a couple of players. They've made sure they've loaded up on picks between sort of one to 10 as much as possible. And then they bring in young kids and um, they can rebuild their list like that. So oh, yeah. it's a bit of a longer process, but it's a long-term view. It's, um, yeah, fascinating because I haven't really heard of drafts outside of North America. And I know there's been chat um, a long time going in New Zealand here about doing some sort of draft system for Super Rugby. Um, so what, yeah. are these kids coming straight out of high school? Are they come, coming out of clubs? Where, how do they sort of, you know, where, where are that young talent coming from? Well, it varies. It's like there are no wrong answers, really. Like they play underage football. Um, they play in a lot of AFL Academy and state-based games against each other. They're sort of 18. Um, from there, you can even get guys that are sort of you know, early 20s, which is it's so bizarre to think if you're aged between sort of 20 and 22, you're considered a sort of mature age recruit. But for some of these kids who get drafted at 18, they're probably just hitting their straps at 20, 22. So, yeah, it's, it's a, a strange phenomenon. But generally, they're sort of 18, 19 years old when they first come into the competition after being drafted. Um, but you still, you can enter the draft. I mean, Sam, you can enter the draft if you want. It's just whether a club will pick you up. <laughs> no, wait, maybe it's a water boy. Do they, do they draft water boys or maybe technical analysts? Yeah. I, might, I might find, yeah. find a spot for me there. What, um, is, so does that mean that there's also sort of trades like there is in North America? I mean, a lot of the other sports don't have that either. I'd look at the NRL where really it's just sort of in-season discussions about contracts and you end up signing a year and a half out saying they're going to leave. But is there is there a trade system in AFL? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. They're a 10-day window after, uh, after the grand final where teams can trade players, they can trade picks, they can trade future picks. But not like the, not the NBA, they can trade, you know, a first-round pick from 2035 if they want. I mm. mean, there's a, there's a limit on it, but they can trade future picks. I think it's up to sort of five or six, seven years in advance, whereas the AFL has pretty strict rules where if you don't use a first-round pick, uh, the two first-round picks over the space of three or four years, then you have to use one the year after. So basically, there's a way of making sure that clubs don't mortgage their future yeah. to go all-in on players now and, and not rebuild that way. But yeah, you can... You trade players. You, I mean, it, it's not not as common as it is in America, where you would trade a player purely for money. Yeah. Um, whereas they say, you know, if you take this player, we'll give you a pick, but you've got to pay all his salary. That that did happen once last year with Geelong, actually, where they received a, a star player and a pick on account of just paying the salary because the team who originally had the guy couldn't afford it. So it tends to be player for player or player for pick or pick for player, whichever way you look at it. But yeah, it's um, a fascinating. 10-day period in, yeah. uh, in Australia when that happens. It's so manic. It's, it obviously doesn't happen mid-season like you see up in the States as well. It's all It all happens at no. the end. Yeah, it's all at the end. There have been talks on whether they bring in a mid-season trade period because there are clubs you know, recently like Collingwood who have lost a few of their really taller guys and they, they said, well, you know, if you bring in a, a three-day trade period, then we could say to a club who's got a, a tall player that's not playing, well, you, yeah. know, you can earn an asset from us if we just get him off your books for a little bit. So 
Yeah, I think there's validity. Uh, certainly is, but yeah, at the moment it's just the end of season. Yeah, no, I love it. It creates so many um, you know extra storylines as well when you've got things like trades and uh, and drafts and stuff too. So I'd love to see that sort of thing over here. In terms of um, in terms of crowd numbers, attendance, um, it's always a bit of a hot topic uh, over in Australia between you know NRL and, and AFL. What's uh, how are the numbers looking for AFL in 2023? Well, it's amazing. I'm not sure if you can hear the music in the background of where I am. I'm at the Grange Golf Club watching the live golfers all tee off. So we've got some of the, the world's biggest names of golf. I and mean, there's going to be 75,000 fans roll through this club over the next three, four days. So it's 25,000, 30,000 a day. When it comes to the AFL, I mean, the numbers have been astronomical. In South Australia, we just had Gather Round, which was every club in Adelaide playing all nine games. Uh, it's never been done before. It's a, you know, obviously a copy of the NRL's Magic Round, and it was so well supported. All nine games were sold out. I think we're talking, you know, there were 48, 49,000 at the Adelaide game the other night. Capacity for that stadium, I think, is just early 50. So remarkable turnout. And even the neutral games, we saw, you know, country grounds with capacities of eight to 10,000 all filled for, say, North Melbourne and Brisbane, and then Collingwood six sort of played at the Adelaide Oval on a Sunday twilight game, which is largely considered you know, the, the less ideal spot, and they had sort of 45,000 there. Wow. So the numbers have been through the roof. I think it's been the most heavily attended opening three or four rounds in AFL history. So, yeah, we're back. Fans yeah. love it. We love it. It's just great to see, isn't it? When you yeah. think of, you know, let's be honest, the last couple of years were tough. There were things that it was tough to go through in, in terms of not being able to see people, not being able to see events. And it's only now you look back at it and you think, there was a time you wondered how we'd all get to the other side of this and, and now it's back and people are just so relieved and yeah as a footy fan as a footy lover and someone that goes you know at the sound of the full stadium it's it's just magic yeah absolutely Theo hey just before we let you go um, something else I did want to ask you about uh, in the NRL we're seeing sort of a big crackdown on things like hip drop tackles and head highs and shoulder charges yep. and late tackles and that sort of stuff is something similar happening in the AFL I know it's all sort of to do with uh, player safety etc are, are fans and, and players seeing a similar thing happening in, in the AFL yeah AFL is all about uh, high contact from now on everything you see um any contact that's made to the head, even if it's just incidental contact, is a free kick. And if there's any contact that causes injury, there's a new clause actually in the AFL tribunal this year that's been brought in where it's the judgment of your action can be determined by the potential to cause injury. Now, that's it sounds a little crazy to think everything has the potential to cause injury, really. You're playing a contact game where yeah. injuries are sustained. But if you go for a ball and you sort of brace yourself and don't, it's not an out-and-out -out football incident where it's an accident or a collision. If you make contact with another player intentionally or even carelessly, then you can be sent to the tribunal. You can be sent. You can be suspended if you make contact with someone's head and not even injure them. Just just an act. If you run at them full speed and hit them body to body, just the potential to cause injury, you can be suspended for. Which I think now is a real shift. There's a duty of care to players that if you're going to play the game, you might get injured in a football incident. But if someone's careless or reckless and attacks the body or the head, given the concussion suits that are going to come out of football and contact sports worldwide in the next 10 or 15 years, there has been a significant crackdown on, on making sure players are protected. Mm, I can't imagine the fans are enjoying that, Theo. I can, I can well, see the social media pages blowing up with every decision. Yeah, there are, certain, there are certain bits and pieces. Just quickly, I'll give you an example. So there's a player for the Crows, Shane McAdam, in round one. The ball was in dispute. In fact, the, the player that he bumped, he actually was in possession of the ball. 
and McAdam ran at him full pace and he hit him shoulder to chest and the player was left huddled and on the floor. He got up and played the rest of the game, but McAdam was suspended for three games because that action had the potential to cause serious injury. Now, I don't necessarily agree with that because the player was in possession of the ball and he did play out the rest of the game. Whereas there was another incident, a player jumped in the air to make sort of shoulder contact with another player's sort of face, and it was just a glancing blow which had far more potential to cause injury, but he got a lesser penalty. So Mm. players are certainly understanding they can't hurt other players deliberately, and fans are a little bit confused just in the inconsistency of the penalty applied, but the crackdown has come. If you hurt someone, if you hit them in the head, if you leave them shaken, concussed, you're paying a huge price. Mm. Rightio, Theo. Um, down there at the Live Golf event, you're not thinking of a career change, are you? You don't have your golf clubs <laughs> down there just having a, having a swing? I'm actually hoping to catch up with Greg Norman and maybe he can <laughs> see me have a go. And I hope they get some good cash. I'm actually, I can just see through a, a gap there, Bubba Watson just having a tee shot. If you oh. have a couple of seconds, I'll just describe what we're seeing. So we've got Bubba Watson. We had Dustin Johnson seeing um, Ian Poulter. Yeah, Dustin Johnson's just standing there. Brooks Kepter and Pat Perez. Uh, a few of the Aussie boys are out on course, Cam Smith and Mark Leishman. Oh. Probably a cast of uh, about 100 people watching on. And yeah, the, the anticipation for this event, for what feels like the biggest golf event in the Southern Hemisphere, really, outside of the President's Cup a few years ago. Ian Poulter and Lee Westwood just addressing the media now. Yeah, it's it's going to be amazing. Oh. Just to see these rock stars 20 or 30 metres away from fans and walking through the crowd and, and saying hello. Yeah, it's like nothing we've ever seen. Adelaide's really excited for it, and largely so is Australia as well. Yeah, how good, Theo. We'll go and enjoy it, my friend. Thanks heaps for jumping on. Always love having you on the program. We'll, uh, we'll catch up again soon. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. There you go, Theo Doropoulos there from 7 News in Adelaide. And we are going to have um, live coverage of uh, the Live Golf event in Adelaide. SEN announced that this morning. So uh, I think we might be taking it here on SENZ. If we're not, you can certainly catch it on the SEN app. Uh, great to catch up with Theodoropoulos there to talk some AFL, get a little bit of education for myself as well. We'll take a break, come back shortly.